Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance. Your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene. The voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Good morning. This is the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins and today I'm talking to Anna Forsyth about her new book, Beautific Toast. Good morning, Anna. Hello. Hi. Good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's great. So you're currently on tour. Are you promoting your new book is that right? Yes, that's right. I have a couple of launches. Great. So where, where was the launch in Melbourne? So we had the launch at Girls on Key, an open studio in Northcote, and then tomorrow I'll be in Newcastle for the launch there. Amazing. And <laughs> um, and uh, tell me a little about the book. It's your second book? It is. Yep, so it's a chat book. Mm-hmm. Um, Girls on Key has a publishing imprint called General Chaos, and this is the second one in the series that we've published. Okay, um, great. Well, pocket book series. And what was the first one? So Gabriel Everall's book called Lay Bell Lit. Okay, yeah. great. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and it's your second book too, isn't it? Is. It is. Yeah. yeah. And when, when did you put out your first book? So I think it was 2013 was the first one called A Tender Moment Between Strangers. Oh, wow. Mm. Right. And you used to live in Melbourne and run Girls on Key and then you moved to Newcastle. Yeah. <laughs> so I still run Girls on Key. I still run it remotely. Um, but yeah, I was living in Melbourne for six years. I love Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, Melbourne's really good. Yeah. But you're originally from New Zealand. I am. And, yep. and you're going on a bit of a visit there soon. I will, yeah. And I was there recently too in Hawke's Bay for an amazing, I can tell you about that because that was an amazing poetic excursion. Um, what happened in Hawke's Bay? Oh, I was there for the um, Toko Toko presentation for the Poet Laureate, Selena Tositala Marsh, so the talking stick. And you're going back? And what are you going to be doing when you're back? Yeah, so um, I'm going to hopefully work with a friend poet over there who's a mentor of mine on her archives, so helping her to archive um, art and poems and her whole life's work, really. Oh, that's huge. Um, that's a huge job. Yeah, and I've never done archiving before, um, so I'm hoping to do that. And Girls on Key Auckland. So we've you... had one there already, and it's getting that rolling again. Incredible. Yeah. So how many Girls on Key are, are there now? Um, so there's currently three that are up and running and three in the works. Okay. So <laughs> so which are the three that are up and running? So we've got Melbourne, Newcastle, and Sydney running okay. monthly. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And do you want to say anything about the ones that are in the works? Sure. Or? Yep. So we're hoping. I'm hoping to have um, Auckland, Wollongong, and Castlemaine in, in the next few months. Oh wow. Yeah. Castlemaine, I should say. <laughs> Get it right. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, we might go to the first poem. Okay. Um, so what would you like to read? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've got a list of a couple of poems here from the book. Um, this first one is called Cove. Your hand along the coastline, my lower back recalls sudden high, tide swells at Tafaranui, soft, feet tracing the shore's outline. Please send me this smooth reminder. The sound of your skin, your groan, soft eddies, desire you create in me. A sarong billows from driftwood. In my dream, can we lay twined? Let the warm sun dapple us. Find the cove again, my back. Take me there, take me back to Te Wharanui. Mm. So full of longing. Yeah. Yeah, very nostalgic. Mm. 
Mm. Absolutely. It's a very nice piece. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, it's um, one of my favourite beaches, Te Whānui. It's very wild and, um, un- you know, untamed. So where, where is that exactly? In? Um, so it's near Auckland. Okay. Yeah. 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 Just out of Auckland. Right. Mm. Mm. So let's keep going. Okay. Let, let's have another poem. Um, on the same sort of vein, um, this is also a New Zealand-based one, and because I lived in Auckland, that's based on volcanic cones, and so I thought, why don't I make some cones, some four volcanic cones, um, which are obviously, uh, are they Buddhist? Are they, yeah, uh, a koan is a Buddhist sort of unanswerable question. Yes, yeah. that's right. So each one, each um, volcanic cone, I've put a koan at the end. Okay. So number one, Mangafau, Mount Eden. The highest point of the city... As a worship leader, I was responsible for taking people to the high places. I did so dutifully, smiling at horizon lines, my cheeks aching. Nobody told me the apex would be a bowl, a concave lens of desire for God, always latent, aching. Christian tourists expected the Holy Spirit flowing at all times. For me, the underground reservoirs, those were private waters, something reverent, nature best observed in silence. When is a volcano not a volcano? Two, Ngā rangi i Tōtongia a Tama te Kapua, which is Rangitoto Island. Children can disrupt the view, depending on your vantage. On Takapuna Beach, Rangitoto's shape looms, so I lay flat on my sarong for now. A volcano, her lava flow unseen, what do I exist for? Three, Puka to Papa, Mount Rascal, or uh, Mount Rascal actually, but Mount Rascal's a bit of a joke, running joke. <laughs> um, the area around it, the Bible Belt, I've known a few of those. It took me time to stop beating myself up. Like Puka to Papa, I've been excavated. Forgiveness flows like the water here. My heart container made by fire mountains. What burns yet heals. Number four, Puka Kawa, Auckland Domain. The Māori call it the hill of bitter memories, all those war memorials there. I can stretch out in the domain of memories, sunlight branching across each limb, shedding light on each small victory. One farmer plants a sweet seed, the other bitter. Are they still both seeds? Hmm. That's a very complex poem in four parts, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. tell me the first one, um, Mangahau, which is Mount Eden. How do you say yes. that? Uh, Mangafau. Mangafau. Yeah. And um, I like this idea that it's a, a the the bowl of the volcano is concave. Mm, that that's mm. very evocative, mm. you know. Yeah. Very in, this interior yearning that yes. uh, it represents. Yes. Yeah. So tell me, what does it mean? I was a worship leader. What what was that about? So I I trained as a worship leader at um, Bible College. And um, that was my calling, you know, I guess. And I followed that path for quite a while. I was um, part of the worship team at my church, um, responsible for kind of leading the worship. And I don't think I was the, the main worship leader, but I was in the, the row of singers. Um, and that was a big part of my life for a very long time. And so what did that involve, going up the mountain with a group of other members of the church and praying at the top of the mountain? Is that what you did? I don't or? know if we did that. Um, it was more like during the service, so singing in the service on a Sunday in, in the church building. Mm-hmm. Um, but I spent a lot of time up mountains having my, I call it quiet time.
time, but it's like a devotional time sure. praying and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, so for me, there's a lot of reverence around that side of contemplation. And mm. that that's one of the themes in the book, actually, because I struggle with the kind of the happy clappy side of Pentecostalism. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if anyone understands that, but yeah, um, the need to always be up and always be happy and celebratory and victorious. And I think that's not really realistic or real life. And I don't think it's healthy <laughs> it doesn't sound like yeah and it doesn't sound like a contemplative path either no just clapping doesn't you know it's kind of the opposite <laughs> that's right and there's actually a poem at the beginning about that about clapping punctures my soft heart <laughs> yes <laughs> and yeah. um so so then the second one yes so then the, the question is when is a volcano not a volcano yes yes yeah i mean I don't know if I fully understand the Coens myself. Mm. They really sort of set mm. me thinking a lot, mm. and I might even write more poems in response to them because, you know, they do. They ask more questions and they answer, really, don't they? Yeah. Um, I, I don't really know the full meaning of it, but I think mm. there's that idea as well around, like, eruptive kind of praise and worship and that kind of – because I, I find if someone reads a poem and then someone claps, I feel like the atmosphere is kind of di- – um, changes and I don't like like mm. if I was listening to poems I like to silence to kind of contemplate mm. and mm. the idea of that eruption of clapping and praise and noise and I actually have a, a noise sensitivity too mm. related to anxiety mm. and mm. so I think yeah that, that those are kind of linked mm. I'll write more about that too in the future I think it's quite interesting yeah um, but and the mm. second mountain is Rangitoto Island yes Rangitoto Island yeah um, for me, that that was about um, sort of when I was younger, thinking like you know you go to the beach and there's that you see pregnant woman walking around or whatever, and thinking about would I ever be a mother and that mm. kind of thing, mm. and then thinking you know you've got the ability to procreate, but like if you don't, is that wrong or is that like am I not living out my life purpose by not procreating? You know that whole kind of idea that a brainwashing comes. that women get yeah that's right and just thinking about that and nice. um mm. relating to the shape obviously the shape of Toto being like a pregnancy bump okay. <laughs> yeah mm. and lying flat yes. and just thinking about your own kind of fertility purpose and, and purpose and yeah, yeah what that. do i exist for exactly yeah. and the third mountain is mount rascal or roskill yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> i lived near there actually when i lived in auckland right mm. yeah yeah and um, I, I don't have the poem in front of me. I'm just trying to remember what was. So the area around it, the Bible Belt, I've known oh, a few yes, of those. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Um, it took time to stop beating myself up. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So that's about because um, so some sort of family history, I guess, of um, religious kind of punishment and um, what do you call it? Discipline yeah. that I experienced growing up and, and learning to forgive and move on from that stuff. Mm. So that's um, what burns yet heals. Yeah, that's right. Great. And Pukekawa, how do yeah. you say that? Pukekawa, mm-hmm. yeah. The Maori called it the Hill of Bitter Memories, mm. all those war memorials mm. there. And that's sort of thinking about my relationship as a, as a Pākehā woman, my relationship to the... Um, colonization and mm. the violence against the indigenous people mm. and thinking about myself it's how do I where do I stand with that stuff and how do I yeah it's just a, a question that I think is important to think about you know yeah and I, I um, think that we can't get the answers in a sentence or anything there it's no. a process and it's a journey to find the answers that's it's, right it's not straight away mm, mm. and things evolve 
Yes, mm. and, and just thinking about the domain and, and how that represents, because there's a lot of you know um, memorials of, of in the in the museum. Obviously, there's mm. that idea of putting Maori artifacts and Maori culture and putting it behind glass, you know, and people come as tourists. I just found that whole thing really because that's their, their you know there's bitter memories and all those things that are encased in glass for. <laughs> For white tourists, it's just weird. I just found it really like, confronting. Yes. Well, it's a different worldview, yes. and and, and yeah. the purveyors of the of the glass box worldview don't know. That they don't get. They don't that's know the sacredness mm. and the yeah, and those taonga that what they would call as taonga more treasures, you mm. know, mm. Uh, sacred treasures. Mm. Um, yeah. Yes, it's a very wonderful poem. Thank you. Yeah, really oh. interesting. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot in there. There is. I hope that I got the pronunciation right. I'll yes. do my best. Someone might tell me, <laughs> correct me, but... Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we might just go to some music. Okay. Thank you. 
was from The Passion of Rumi, uh, vocals by Shahram Naziri, composed by Hafiz Naziri. Um, so we're talking to Anna Forsyth today. This is the 3CR Spoken Word Program, and my name is Di Cousins. And um, so, Anna, now you're, we're going through your book. It's, I said it's a bit like a TARDIS, like it looks really small, but it's actually <laughs> got a lot of poems in there. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's very dense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So what, <laughs> yeah. what would you like to read next? Um, the next poem is called Piscetti. When my siblings were four, they ate their first noodles, delight in wiggly strands on clown-lipped faces. Tongue between teeth, they slurped and gurgled, painting the kitchen red, marvelling at Piscetti, two amateur drunks. Four years on from our mistake, I take myself for sedate pasta, sprinkled with memories, one in particular, nauseous, that angry look on his face when I couldn't stomach it. Maybe that's all we ever were, two drunks who made a mess, with me so clown-lipped for him. In the recurring drink dream, he stands at the table, that same cruel pose, correcting our ghost child's Italian over and over again. Yes, <laughs> so some people leave a long shadow. They do. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 It's um it's a nice combination of images, the innocence of childhood and then transposed into uh, a sense of regret. Hmm. Um Carmen Main, um, she is one of my friends and she eats a lot of pasta and um some of her poems. Uh, this is kind of a um inspired by her poems which are sort of related to pasta. <laughs> <laughs> Loosely. Okay. And, and so take it because she would go out for pasta, you know, have a bad day, let's go out for pasta. And, um, yeah, and it was a memory, obviously, of a, an ex-partner who was Italian. Yes. And uh, he, was, he wasn't he was very kind, no. put it that way. Yeah. So, <laughs> mm. um, yes. Mm. Yeah, mm. no, nice transposition. Thank you. <laughs> mm. So where would you like to go next? Um, so this next poem is called Women, Woman in the Floral Pyjamas. And um, I don't know what you'd call it when you take ideas from, it's not taking lines from somewhere, but I've taken ideas from art criticism. So the way that people talk about art. So I've gone online and looked at some of the phrases that they use to talk about art as a way to capture this image of this woman that I saw in Melbourne. Woman in the floral pyjamas. As a masterpiece of the postmodern era, the artist depicts a standing figure, a dreamlike vision of fragile femininity, with a sense of some marginalisation. He achieves this effect through the application of several layers of wash and superimposed contours and soft shades of pink and beige. Unlike many other figures of the period, the artist has avoided idealised treatment of the facial features. Her informal pose, the loose-fitting pyjamas, give the era... The figure and air of couldn't give a fuck, but this would be misleading, as you will see in a moment. The muted colour scheme adds a pensive tone, which could be sadness, hinted at by raindrops on the shop window, but there's something deeper here. We may never know the identity of the subject. The artist has fused features of several different people. It's a remarkable and striking composition, masterful in its tenderness, arresting in its context outside a suburban shopping mall. The questions it raises in the mind of the viewer... It is the eyes that continue to speak to us today. Let's take a moment to study the eyes. It's as if you can feel the resignation. Yes. So this was a a, a mannequin wearing pyjamas in a window? It was actually a real person um, who was standing outside a mall in her pyjamas during the day, and it just really struck me. 
Um, and I thought, what is this person's story? You know, I just thought it's like a moment in time where you capture a little snippet and you think, yes. this is all I'm seeing is her in her pyjamas in the middle of the day. Yes. <laughs> like, what, what is it about this person that drives her to be there? And, and that it just really, I was thinking about people, particularly um, Indigenous people, and I think she was Indigenous people um, who are marginalised by society and um, in poverty and um, the indignity of it, I guess. Mm, mm. It's it's a very clever um, appropriation of that you know critics language mm, you know with mm. the, all those clever phrases. Mm. Well, I've tried know. to break that. Yeah. Uh, you've probably seen I tried to break that that tension with the like couldn't give a fuck you know those mm. little bits mm. of humour mm. just mm. to break that tension because it's obviously a bit wanky but it's that's not the point of it mm. you know that's to kind of t- do a take on that rather than to copy that I guess if that makes sense. Um, yeah, well, it, you're providing a prism through which to see this um, person, but mm, in a fresh way, mm. without just a lot of assumptions. Yes. Yeah, well done. Thank you. It's a very interesting poem. Mm, it's mm. actually very similar to, not similar, but I saw a woman doing Tai Chi in a pink tracksuit in the underground car park. So one of the other poems in here is called Tai Chi in the Underground Car Park. So I'm quite inspired, I think, because I also write fiction. I'm quite inspired by seeing a person in like a context and thinking, what is their story? Like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, it just kind of captures your imagination, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it spurs a poem or a story. That's right. <laughs> Yes, yeah. well, the art that's all around us. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. do you want to read the poem about the Tai Chi in the oh, un- sure. underground car park? Yes, I'd love to, actually. That's one of my favourites of the book. Great. Um, so this is called Tai Chi in the Underground Car Park. I don't have time, maybe I'm too polite, to linger, staring at her there. I close my eyes, mimic a camera shutter. At the entrance, a lone photographer in the eye of a hurricane of traffic. On the tram to work, the image develops. The first thing I see, a pink tracksuit, almost hurting against the concrete. I empty my mind, create a cavity, park anxious thoughts into vacant corners. I walk myself through her movements. Water. Claim the right to take up space, but don't resort to the back of the hand. Fire, breathe out like a dragon, calm, with stealth release your anger, flicker hot pink orange and fizzling against concrete. Wind, plant both feet, sweep your arm across, push against the heavy air, resist with gentleness. Earth, step with purpose, your feet have roots, feel the gravity of your steps. I see the final image, a temple on a hill, cars, supplicants in rows, observing the dance. Cars, supplicants in rows, observing the dance, mm. it's because she's doing her Tai Chi in the car park. Yeah, and I thought yeah. it was like the, the, the faithful lined up, the audience watching yeah. um, this kind of reverent... Um, Dancing. Yes, it's a very slow performance, the, the Tai Chi sequence. It is, mm. and, and that's mm. the first time that I've researched and, and investigated it, so it was really interesting. Um, mm. Mm. So you've included the elements, you know, water, fire and wind and all. Yes, yes. yeah, yes. and because when I saw it, I was like, oh, what does that mean? Like, what mm. are the movements? And mm. so I went and researched. Um, yes. Because I did see her. It was in Melbourne, actually, when I saw this woman. I was just walking past and I was like, wow, because it was so concrete, it was so grey, and then she had this bright pink tracksuit on. And yeah. 
And, and it's a surprising <laughs> choice to do that because quite commonly people do it in parks. Yeah. So I wonder why she was doing it I there. know. That's what I thought. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the amazing contrast that you find in life. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Mm, okay. One, so let's hear another poem. Okay. Um, I have one which has singing and then I have a short one. Okay. Do you want the short one? Let's have the singing one. The singing one? one? Okay. Yeah. So I studied conducting stage one. And uh, so this poem's called The Conductor, and it's about grief. The notes on the Shenandoah score could be tiny archipelagos, my eyes blurred by tears. Away, you rolling river. I want to drift silently to some remote locale, but our conductor Kara says, always sing through the phrase. Some of us find stoicism more difficult. Grief's water is a semiconductor, metallic tears, electrons like stray notes. Kara addresses the soprano in the second row. Please refer to the score. There is a snag executing the trill. The orchestra is well-versed in melancholy, strings taught to avoid spilling stray harmonics, dead giveaways. A psychotherapist says attunement is listening to the sound of the breath. The staggering, the stagger of phrases in the Shenandoah. Across the wide, across the wide Missouri. I hear a shudder in my breath somewhere in the second bar. I am struggling to compose myself. Grief is a resonance with the first cello. The therapist tells me to compose yourself, you must learn to conduct. When rehearsal is over, I wipe the tears away. Rivulets of water fall from my fingers. I imagine the choir alive before me. My hands electric with grief's music. I will be the conductor. Away, you rolling river. So the, cult, the, the process of singing and being conducted, and it's a wonderful metaphor. Mm. And, I, and that particular piece, the Shenandoah, I couldn't sing it without crying. I was quite moved by it. And right. I remember trying to sing and just being like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and my mum, by the way, my mum is a psychotherapist, so okay. there's some references to my mum <laughs> in our conversations. Yeah. I've never had counselling from her, but we have, she teaches me a lot of things and. She probably can't um, help herself. Yeah, I think so. It's really funny, actually. I say to her, she'll say, how do you feel about that? And I say, I don't know. And she says, yes, but if you did know. <laughs> and I say, mum, mum. And I get really angry. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> this dynamic, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah, but, um, yeah, the idea of how do you conduct yourself and, and grief coming through you, being like a conductor through um, electricity. and Yes, mm. and and the experience of music being something that is deeply emotional as mm. well. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And sort of connecting to the heart yeah. through, through sound. Yes, yeah. And then trying to control it under the baton of someone who may be at another frequency well that's that's a good um good um thing that you've noticed there because our conductor was very very um what's the word oh man i mean she was her choir her choir got named choir of the world so she's probably the top conductor in the world and so the severity and the kind of intensity of that being under that direction is really and then so i guess it's taking control back and being in the place of the conductor and what that's like to actually choose to control it yourself you know being I think there's that idea of being out of control when you're going through grief as well and feeling like someone else is 
conducting you and your emotions are out of control and yeah um yeah it's quite interesting mm, mm. many layers yeah yeah all right we've got about 30 seconds oh, left okay. yeah, we'll just have, have one short poem oh sure yeah yeah so this last one is called hotel angst it's very shorty a little shorty i like short poems oh uh, yeah hotel <laughs> angst thoughts turn my core into a precipice on my bed i yearn for gravity touch the bunks steal with my feet to keep from falling. <laughs> yes, that business of the hostel dormitory and oh, the upper yeah. bunk. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, a good metaphor for yes. the feeling of falling. Yes. Mm. Yeah, being on the precipice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, well, this has been the 3CR Spoken Word Program, and my name is Di Cousins. Um, today we've been talking to Anna Forsyth about her new book, Beautific Toast. And where can they find your book? Yep, so um, the Girls on Key website, girlsonkey.com, there's a, an online bookstore there. So if you go there and then click on the shop, you'll find it there. Great. Thank okay, you. well, thank, thank you, you so for, much. Thank you for coming in. Oh, you're welcome. It was lovely. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> okay. This has been the 3CR Spoken Word Program.